turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16. And while you're turning there, I want to make just a few really brief pastoral comments. Last week was Easter, and I hope that each one of you had a wonderful day remembering and celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. Some of you were traveling, uh, but we had a huge attendance here last Sunday, probably our largest Sunday ever. So when 99 flashed on the screen, these little screens over here, when 99 flashed on the screen uh, and I saw no one get up, um, I decided that the preschool area was probably overrun with children. 99 is the code word for help. So since no one got up, I did. And I was in the two to four-year-old room in the third service last Sunday. There were 17 children in that class. So here are my pastoral comments. First, thank you to every single person who volunteers in the children's ministry here at Alliance. Thank you very much. You are doing a good work for the Lord, and you're doing a good work in this church. Second, within five minutes of being in that class, I started thinking, we need that new building. And I mean that. And I can't go into all of the reasons why I was thinking that in that moment. Um, but if you doubt that we need that new building, let me ask you to go volunteer in the children's ministry <laughs> for a week. Or come up to the youth room or stand out in the foyer in between services. You will probably experience a conversion. And then the last one, um, I want to thank all of you who have given to the building campaign in recent months. Uh, very recently, we've had over $150,000 come in. We're very grateful for that. So if you have given, thank you. And if you have not given, but you call this your church home, you consider this your church. If people say, where do you go to church? And you say, Alliance, would you consider giving something? We would really appreciate it. God's doing a good work. There's a lot of people. All right, those are my pastoral comments. We should be in Acts chapter 16 now. And we're about to conclude our study of 1 Timothy and move into our study of 2 Timothy. And the stories we're going to look at today uh, in Acts 16 um, occur just as Paul is bringing Timothy under his wing. These are resurrection stories. These are stories of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And hopefully you have a story like that as well. The Lord spoke to you through someone else and you came to faith in Christ. And that's what we're going to see here this morning. We're going to see the literal birth of the Philippian church. And my prayer is that as we look at these stories, we'll be motivated to share the Easter message with a variety of people because we're going to meet a variety of people in this passage today. We're going to read verses 6 through 40. It's a long section, but it's good stuff. It might be half the sermon, but that's okay. All right. So Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 40. If you wouldn't mind, if you're able to stand as we read God's word. Here we go. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go down into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. 
then the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were supposed, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods and who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are the Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave them orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, and the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer, the, the jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took him the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent you to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come down themselves and take us out. So the police reported these words to the magistrates. They were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So when they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and then uh, when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The first thing that we see in this passage is that the triune God directs the spread of the gospel. The triune God directs the spread of the gospel. This missionary team had big plans, and they had a desire to take the gospel to Asia. 
It's not wrong to have big plans, especially if those plans are to make much of Jesus around people who don't know him and love him as they should. But part of being a Christian is keeping our hands open like this with everything that we have, including all of our really good plans that might be for really good purposes. We allow the Lord to have the final say. Consider Proverbs 16, 9. It says, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Sometimes there's a contrast between what we may plan in our heart and what actually happens. Ever, ever experienced that? It is God who ultimately determines what happens in our lives. He opens doors. He closes doors for his good and sovereign Purposes. And this is good news. This is good news because God is a good and loving God. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do more than we might think or ask. It means that his plans are ultimately bigger and better than our plans. Ultimately, we can trust him. Listen to Psalm 37. 23 to 24, it says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. You see, even if we stumble as we are seeking to walk the path that we think God has called us to, even if we stumble, God doesn't let go of our hand. He's with us. He leads us. And here in Acts 16, God leads this missionary team into Europe instead of Asia. God had a plan for Asia, but for now, he wanted his team in Europe. Specifically, he leads them to Philippi. Now, we don't know all of the circumstances and the exact measures that God uses to communicate this. But we do know that after experiencing a few no's, Paul receives a vision and the team heads into Macedonia to preach the gospel. God directed them because he is sovereign. And this is still true today. Our triune God is still directing the spread of the gospel. He's in control. After spending a few days in the city, the Sabbath arrives and Paul and his team head out to a place of prayer. Now, a little bit of background is helpful here. According to Jewish custom, a synagogue was, uh, it needed at least 10 Jewish men. Philippi was a Roman colony that had a lot of veteran soldiers and officials. Jews were pretty much non-existent. At this point, there probably wasn't even a single Christian. The gospel is just now coming in, right? But that was about to change. When a synagogue didn't exist, Jewish places of worship typically took place near a, near a body of water, a river, or a stream, so that the, the ceremonially clean uh, aspects of, of uh, Judaism could be practiced. Paul and the team uh, find this place. They arrive there, and they find a very small group of women, and they begin speaking to them. A woman named Lydia was there. Luke tells us two things about her. She, told, she sold purple fabric, and she was a worshiper of God. As a seller of purple fabric, she was likely a wealthier uh, person. Her business uh, likely helped her run in some larger uh, social circles. Purple fabric wasn't cheap to make, therefore it went for a higher price. Now, at some point in her past, Lydia had become a worshiper of God. She knew and worshipped the God of the Jews, which means she was likely looking for the Messiah. As Paul and the team talk and share with these women, Lydia listens. And as she listens, 
the scriptures tell us that the Lord opened her heart to respond. Essentially, the scales fall off her eyes, the wall around her head and her heart crumble, and she understands and responds to the gospel. I wonder if there are any, in a sense, worshipers of God here this morning, but you need the same thing. If so, I pray that the Lord would do it right now. The gospel is this. God created the world and he placed his image upon humanity. But humanity rebelled against God and said, I'll live life my own way. And the result of this rebellion was sin and a broken world, separation from God and death. The result is that we live in a broken world. You can't deny this reality. Watch the news, read the paper, read the, read the news feed on your smartphone. What do you see? You see hate and greed. You see racism. You see perversity. You see addiction. You see war. You see the murdering of innocent life. Humanity can do some good things occasionally, but humanity is not good, ultimately. God is holy. And he has every right to unleash wrath and judgment on sin and sinners. But in his love, he sent his son to live perfectly in our place and sacrificially die in our place so that his perfect life could cover our imperfect life, so that his sacrificial death could pay the price for our sin. But Jesus is not dead. We celebrated this last week. He is risen because not even death could hold him down. The gospel is this, you can do good things occasionally, I can do good things occasionally, but in the depths of our heart, there's a brokenness, there's a sin. We know hate, we know greed, we know racism, we know perversity, we might know addiction. And while we might disguise it around certain people, there's a certain part of us that likes our sin. But the Bible says that if we will confess with our our mouth, if we'll confess our sin to God, repent of our sin, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved from our sin. We can be given a new heart. This is what Lydia realized and embraced as the Lord opened her heart. She realized that the Messiah was not a politician, rather the Messiah was Jesus Christ. And the salvation that he brought was forgiveness of sin. He had done for her what she could not do for herself. Now there's a sense in which at at some level, here in America, in the Bible Belt South, at some level, probably anybody that's in here this morning is, is in some way a worshiper of God. Even if a family member drug you here. But I want you to understand that that doesn't necessarily mean that you are saved from your sin. Your American in God we trust religion might make you a worshiper of God to some extent. But what I'm talking about right now is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And apart from him, you cannot be in right standing with God. You cannot stand before God and be safe unless Jesus' life and death cover you. Lydia believed this. 
she responds by being baptized. Others in her house also come to faith and are baptized. Jesus saves Lydia. Paul shares that good news. And her story reminds us that Jesus saves the religious and the wealthy. If that is you this morning, if you're a religious person, if you're a wealthy person, don't trust in your religion. Don't trust in your wallet. Repent and believe in Jesus. And for those of us who do believe, let us remember to speak the gospel to the religious and the wealthy here in the high country. Let us not assume that, that their religion is enough and keep the truth to ourselves. Let us not assume that since they have it all materially, they have no emptiness in their heart. They do. There are Lydia's in the high country. Let's speak the gospel to them. After the conversion of Lydia, Paul and the team continue their routines in the city. Again, they're going to the place of prayer, and they are met with another person who needs the gospel. But there's a very stark contrast here. Lydia was religious and wealthy, respected and put together. Now we see a slave girl possessed by a demon being used by her owners for money. Now, I want us to feel this for a moment. This is a little girl. Picture her as six years old. She's been possessed by an evil spirit. Her childhood has been stolen by evil. Her owners use her for one purpose, making money. There are still people who use little girls for money today. Just another example of the fact that humanity is not good. We're not as advanced and as evolved of a people as we might like to think that we are. This evil spirit in this little girl, it, it speaks through her, it tells, people's, it tells people their fortune and they, they pay to hear it. She begins to follow the team around for days and she proclaims, these men are bond servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming the way of salvation. What she's saying is true. Demons often stated the truth when in the presence of Jesus and his followers. Demons believe in God. James 2.19 says, you believe in God, you believe that he's one, good. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The difference between Christian belief in God and demonic belief in God is that demonic belief in God is rebellious and spiteful and disgusted. Demons shudder before God. But Christians rejoice and worship before God. This demonic proclamation goes on for some days, but eventually Paul can no longer tolerate it. The correct understanding of the gospel is at stake. Paul doesn't want people equating the gospel with the evil spirit in this little girl. So in the powerful name of Jesus, he casts out the demon. Can you imagine what that little girl felt like in that What we see here is that Jesus saves those who are enslaved by evil. If that is you, if you are enslaved by evil, in the name of Jesus, be freed today. And church, let us remember that Christians are called 
to share the gospel with people enslaved by evil. We may even need to speak the powerful name of Jesus into their life. Our story makes a very sharp turn here. If you're like me, you want to know more about this little girl. I personally believe the little girl, is, she becomes a Christian. But to be honest with the text, we aren't told any more about this little girl. Instead, Luke turns his attention to the response of the owners and the city. As soon as the owners realize their flow of cash is ruined, they seize Paul and Silas, they drag them into the center of town, and they put them in front of the authorities. Now consider 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The owners of the slave girl loved their money. But certain business is ruined by the gospel, and theirs was. Unfortunately, these owners' hearts had been ruined by their love of money. Their business that they engaged in to inquire it had just eaten them alive. So the response is that they hate the message and they hate the messengers. Some people still react this way today. Things escalate quickly. Before you know it, Paul and Silas are stripped and beaten with rods. Now there's so much we could ponder here. We don't have time to run down every path. But let me just say a few things. It's clear throughout the New Testament that living the Christian life, proclaiming the gospel message, doing that will be costly at times. When Christians read the book of Acts, we often get really excited when we see the power and the gifts of the Spirit, the generosity of the early church, the amazing conversions. We get really excited. We say, that's what I want in my church. But let us not forget that all of that comes with persecution. And I don't just mean a snide remark at school or at work or from a neighbor. I mean you get stripped and you get beaten with rods. While that isn't currently a typical experience for Christians in America, let us not forget that many of our brothers and sisters around the world know this reality. Let us remember them in prayer, and let us learn from them. They sacrifice much. Jesus didn't call us to take up our cushion and follow him. He called us to take up our cross and follow him. You can't follow Christ and get the world's favor at the same time, so make your choice. Is it Jesus or is it the world? After the beating, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. But the rest of the mission team isn't. They're not beaten. They're not imprisoned. In God's sovereign plan, taking up our cross will be experienced differently by some of us. And all we can do is trust. Now, the jailer had been ordered to guard them securely. He took that to the extreme. They are thrown into the inner prison and they are put in stocks. Now, don't picture the stocks as a photo booth at Tweetsie. Romans were very good at taking punishment and intensifying it. The cross is a great example of that. And the stocks were too. Oftentimes, the stocks had multiple holes in order to bend your legs and your body at multiple points just to keep you in a torturous position. Now notice the response of Paul and Silas. They are praying and singing hymns of praise to 
to God. And the prisoners are listening to them. Their backs are swollen and bloody. They're bent into an awful position. And they are worshiping and they are witnessing. Paul suffered much for the gospel. As a result of the the depths of the gospel and how it had affected, how deep it had gone inside of him, he was a man who could not be conquered. If you threatened him with death, he said, to die is gain. If you beat him, he said, the present sufferings are minuscule compared to the glories of heaven, and any suffering that I experience is just going to help me know Jesus better. If you release him and said, go, he said, to live is Christ. He could not be conquered. He saw the best and even the worst of situations as a possibility for the gospel. Do we think like that? I believe this moment in jail becomes holy ground. God's pleasure in this moment, his purpose in this moment, becomes clear in a number of ways. An earthquake happens. Earthquakes were fairly common in this area, but this one is different. It's accompanied with the supernatural. First of all, all the doors swing open, the stocks become unfastened. Now, certainly the earthquake could have, could have caused some of that to an extent, but all of that happens and no one is hurt. Secondly, no one leaves. I believe the worship and the witnessing had created this moment that was so captivating that escapes didn't even cross anyone's mind. You ever been in a moment of worship where you just, you don't, you don't think about anything? And finally, the entire weight of the situation, it had speared this Roman soldier into his very soul. And he falls before Paul and Silas and he says, what must I do to be saved? At some point, he had fallen asleep in the midst of the worship and the witnessing. But the gravity of the entire situation, the powerful presence of Jesus in the midst of the prison, it wrecked him. Suicide was his knee-jerk reaction. He pulled his sword, he's ready to kill himself, but salvation rushes in in that moment. The jailer and his family, they believe in the good news of salvation through Jesus. The jailer's heart is now softened. He, he washes their wounds. He's, he's baptized, and, and then he feeds them. A little bit of background, at least helpful here to get the picture. As I said earlier, Philippi was a Roman colony, had a lot of veteran Roman soldiers. In a sense, it was the retirement community you earned after a job well done. You still worked, but you were no longer on the front lines. This soldier's home was more than likely connected uh, to the prison. That's how his family would have been so near. This Roman soldier was trained and very likely experienced in battle. The Romans were not known for mercy. And here he is washing their wounds and feeding them. What we see here is that Jesus saves the hardened who are hoping to live the good life after logging a lot of years of hard work. That is you. If you came in here with a hard heart, repent and believe. And let us as believers not let these kinds of people live in this state without hearing the good news. Our story doesn't quite end there. The next day, the Roman officials just want to get the troublemakers out of town and probably assume that Paul and Silas will be happy to escape after the beating that they have received. But Paul doesn't cave so quickly. 
He plays a few cards they don't expect. Paul and Silas had Roman citizenship and, and had some rights as a result of that. This causes some fear and some turmoil among the officials. They offer some sort of an apology. Now, I want us to ponder some other things in our final moments, so I'm not going to say much here. There are several trains of thought about what Paul is doing. I, I think what Paul is doing is appealing to his rights, not so much for his sake. Paul wasn't a man consumed with his own rights. I think what he's doing is he's doing it for the sake of this young church. Maybe to inflict some guilt on these officials so that they won't act so quickly and harshly in future situations that might arise. But at any rate, here's what I want us to, to ponder in these final moments. The church in Philippi was started with a wealthy fashion lady in her household, probably an abandoned slave girl, a Roman soldier and his family, and it's likely that Luke, a doctor, was left to lead the church for a period of time. That's a diverse church. It's probably not the core team that most church planters and most church growth experts would suggest. It wasn't even the place Paul had planned in his own heart to go. But it's what God called him to. And it's the group that God assembled. And we know from the letter to the Philippians that this church became incredibly special to Paul. And particularly helpful to him for years to come. God knew what he was doing when he led them there. And he knows what he's doing in our lives. And he knows what he's doing in the life of this church, Alliance Bible Fellowship. Our differences do not have to separate us. Instead, they can speak of the power of the gospel. May people look at Alliance Bible Fellowship and say, that's a diverse church. I hope they'll say that. Our job is to love our Lord, obey him, spread the good news. He will direct our steps as we do that. One last thought. I think our lack of witnessing at times is ultimately about selfishness and fear. We want the Lydia's of the world to respect us. We don't want any conflict with them. So we leave them in their religion. We don't want to enter into evil. It's dangerous. It's messy. So we just turn our head and look the other way. Hardened people, they can just be scary and intimidating. So we just try and avoid them. That guy's in a bad mood. I'm going over here. But Paul and this missionary team didn't fall into these traps. Even if it resulted in suffering, they spoke the good news. May we do the same this week with whoever God puts in our path. This morning, we want to provide a chance for you to respond in song and in prayer. Our elders and our prayer team will be available this morning here at the front and off to the sides at the platform. Maybe you have a very big decision before you. You want to be in step with the Lord. You want to know which way you should go. I would invite you to come and pray. Maybe as you heard the message, the Lord opened your heart and you believed. A great first step would just be to come down here and share that with someone to pray with them. Or maybe you just realize you need to speak the gospel to those around you. If you want to come and confess that and pray with someone that your boldness would grow, some will be here to do that with you. No matter what you need this morning, don't let that voice in your head telling you to stay in your seat win the day. Come. Let's pray. Father, apart from you, we are lost and dead. 
But because you sent your son, because he lived a perfect life in our place and willingly took on what should have been our punishment, because he's raised from the dead, we can be saved. You saved Lydia from her religion and wealth. You freed a little girl enslaved by evil. And you rescued a Roman soldier. Would you pour out your grace today? Open our hearts to respond to you. Would you, would you by your spirit, guide us and show us your will for, your, for our lives? And, and would you make us bold witnesses here in the high country? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If the prayer team would come forward as we sing.